Okay, listen up. Crypto class is in session. And to start, we will read from this abstract. A purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Sounds pretty dry until you realize that this abstract, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, launched a phenomenon that is worth trillions of dollars. The author, none other, if there is another to be found. The article written by none other than Satoshi Nakamoto. But who is Satoshi and what has Bitcoin turned into? In the first of two podcasts that are sure to blow your crypto-loving mind, we have Craig Massey and Richard Bose, the co-founders of the Satoshi Block Dojo. They maintain that crypto is a scam, that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme, and that Nakamoto, whose identity they reveal, is so upset by this that he is out to create another form of Bitcoin and the Satoshi Block Dojo will serve as nothing less than a tech stars of the new blockchain world. Now one final note, in this podcast you'll hear our guests submit the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto as Craig Wright, an Australian computer scientist. Now there's much controversy in the media surrounding Craig Wright's claims, so we want to stress that this is the contention of our guests. Listeners may agree as well as disagree. For the record, Wright himself has yet to offer definitive proof. Regardless, his claims have their backers, including some journalists and our guests, so we're happy to let them stand for the purposes of this podcast. If you have other thoughts, we encourage you to share them with us. And now sit back and enjoy the first of two parts. Craig Massey and Richard Bose, founders of the Satoshi Block Dojo, get deep into the heart of blockchain and crypto. Where else but on Dave and Darm Demystify? From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show and it's been a long time coming actually. We haven't covered the area of blockchain which is I know something that's dear to most people's hearts and actually baffles quite a few people so I'm really pleased that Dave and I have got two experts in this space and I'm going to ask Craig to introduce himself first and then Richard to give us a bit of background on themselves and then you know to tell us a bit more about blockchain so that people like me can understand it. Okay so I'm Craig Massey I'm the co-founder of my eighth startup called the Satoshi Block Dojo. Richard is my co-founder as well. Quick background on me. For the last 20-odd years, I started eight companies, had five exits, 
four of which have been multi-millions and two crash and burns. And this is now my eighth company. Wow. That's amazing track record, by the way. Richard. Cheers, Tom. Yeah, I'm Richard Bose. I have been in blockchain since about May 2012 was when I first joined in with Bitcoin. So long time. I was a writer for Coindesk for a bit, and I have been a very attentive student of Dr. Wright for the last two and a half years. So yeah, I kind of approached Craig with this idea for the Satoshi Block Dojo, and he's picked it up and run with it. Quite exciting to be on that train. So yeah. This is the interesting thing. When you're used to doing startups, you can move at 100 million mile an hour. So from an idea that he presented to me, I then started digging into it. But first of all, he said, okay, let me try and explain all the complexities of it in words that a 10-year-old child could understand. Perfect for me. (laughs) Break it all down. He said, right, okay, well, once upon a time, 12 years ago, right, a new thing invented called the blockchain and Bitcoin, interchangeable at exactly the same time. And it was essentially announced to the world through a white paper, right, which because they wanted to remain anonymous, the two or three people who put it together, they did it under the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. There was then kind of, you know, a great mystery as to who Satoshi was and all sorts of things. An undercover journalist finally kind of put the pieces together and outed Craig Wright. He then put his hand up and said, yes, I'm Satoshi. And at that point, actually, the pieces of the jigsaw started to fit together because Dr. Craig Wright is an ex-forensic digital auditor for BDO. So the genesis of blockchain was actually the fact that he hated companies cheating. And what he really wanted to do was make sure there was a distributed ledger. And that's not as complicated as it sounds. Essentially, these are the Bitcoin miners, stupid name for it, because actually they're custodians of the data. So you imagine they're like big data centers, And what they do is they fight it out amongst themselves as to who captures the next block of data on the blockchain, right? So therefore, as a consequence, because they're all kind of checking up on each other and they're all kind of trying to outmaneuver each other, nobody can cheat, you know? So it's an immutable ledger, but distributed. So if you imagine the blockchain is like this amazing kind of engine, And the Bitcoins are simply, could be the tokens or the oil, I like to say it, which goes inside the engine to make it work seamlessly. So if you kind of look at it like that, then where does it go? First of all, he created it for that specific purpose. But he then started realizing, well, we can utilize this technology to kind of sit on top of the internet and actually plug all the terrible gaps that we have of the current internet. So everyone realizes the internet's fantastic. It's a useful information retrieval lookup system. But most people don't realize it's based on 1973 technology, almost 50 years old, TCP, IP. Now, of course, 50 years ago, they didn't realize the requirements we would have for it nowadays. So frankly, in the 21st century, it isn't fit for purpose. It's a leaky old bucket. It's full of fraud. It has huge latency issues. It has massive blockages. So I think the biggest single issue is that when you want to buy anything, it kicks you out of the internet and you have to go into the payment providers of Visa MasterCard, which again is a very clunky experience, very expensive, particularly if you're from the developing world. And of course, they don't have one unified currency globally. 
How crazy. In the 21st century, when we're all supposed to be digital, we have this old-fashioned fiat kind of currency and, and all these crazy amounts of fees. I've just traveled around half a dozen countries. And, you know, you can get charged up to 20% changing fiat currency. It's a nonsense, right? We've spoken to some African entrepreneurs that are, you know, reinventing the payments process in Africa. And, you know, it can go higher as over 30% in fees. For somebody sending $100, $30 goes off to the banks and all the various intermediaries. So many different layers. It's crazy. If you've got a system that, okay, you have this global kind of currency, but can then do fractionalized payments, right? That potentially opens up a completely brand new industry that we know nothing about. And I'll give you a small example of that. So, you know, we've all been online, we've all started reading an article. You think, well, okay, I like this article, I wanna carry on reading it, and up comes a pop-up, right? And it says, oh, if you wanna complete this article, you've gotta to subscribe to the Washington Post for $10 a month. And you're like, goodbye. Whereas if the pop-up came, you would accept it if it was a fractionalized cost, right? So the point being is that you can kind of extend that to its logical conclusion and you can think, okay, there's a whole brand new industry waiting to happen. So I think most people, and I don't blame anybody for piling in there and having kind of bought a few Bitcoins and, you know, it's gone from 500 quid to 35,000. It's kind of ludicrous, but that's purely FOMO. You know, that's why I got involved in the first place with fear of missing out. And you look into it and you actually realize that the whole BTC and Bitcoin is built on fresh air or even less than fresh air. It's not even that fresh. It's trapped wind, in fact. A house of cards, I'm talking about Bitcoins being oil. What they want is the Bitcoin is like sand because they've hijacked the original protocol. They've stripped out most of the functionality. All they want is for it to be an asset to be digital gold, to sit there and do nothing and just increase in value. It's a nonsense. It's based on absolutely nothing. So at one stage, we are predicting that the whole crypto merry-go-round will come to a grinding halt. And once it does, once it becomes uneconomic for the miners to actually make any money, that's it. They will just stop overnight and the whole thing will come crashing down, is our belief. It's a bit like I saw at the weekend an NFT that was a picture of a rock for 600K, right? So who determined that value and how many more of those could be generated? Like it's a bit vaporware-ish. And that's what you're saying really about the Bitcoin currency. But does that apply to other currencies, things that have more practical use like Ethereum? <laughs> I'll, I'll get this one. <laughs> And so to make this very clear distinction between Bitcoin that was released in the white paper and the Bitcoin that's being sold on the market today, the two are distinctly different beasts. They are genuinely different protocols. What was released in the white paper was a chain of digital signatures and a coin, an electronic coin defined in the white paper is a chain of electronic signatures, chain of digital signatures. BTC is not that. And they've actually broken the signatures apart. They've taken the witness data, the signature when you sign a transaction, they've put that in a separate data structure. So it's no longer part of the transaction. So if I do a peer-to-peer -peer transaction with you, it should be hashed into a single record. So you and I both have the record of that particular thing. There's no other data about it out there. Only you and I have the data, but the hash, the digest of that transaction is a discrete event that you can identify. Well, BTC doesn't do that. They take the signature away, 
you put it up in a separate data structure and then you have a multi-sig and then it's like, oh, it's a way of obscuring things, but basically they batch millions of transactions. And so the result of that is BTC is not this peer-to-peer cash model at all. So it's passing itself off as Bitcoin. And it's a very serious crime, right? I mean, it's a financial fraud. It's a $1.6 trillion financial fraud. A Ponzi scheme, basically. The ICOs, they were the perfect example of a Ponzi scheme. And that was the latest wheeze. It defies belief how they've managed to dominate the narrative. And they've stripped out functionality, completely changed everything. And they've built a $1.6 trillion industry. I think there are three things kind of ranged against Craig Wright. Because this is the whole point, is that I looked at this. It all seemed fantastic. When can I get my hands on it? And when can I use it? And how can we create companies that utilize this technology? And then you start to dig in online and you see the narrative is like, Craig Wright is a fraud. He's not Satoshi. BSV will fall over. It's open to being corrupted. All this kind of crazy nonsense. But the more you drill in, the more you realize that there's actually three forces against Craig Wright technology, really. First of all, criminals. You know, he launched it 12 years ago. The first people to get their hands on it were a whole bunch of criminals, and they started selling heroin. Now, first of all, they think it's crypto. It isn't. They think it's anonymous. It absolutely isn't. That's the whole point of the blockchain. It's an absolute track and trace. And the fact that, you know, Craig Wright has informed the FBI and all the rest of it makes no difference because what the FBI wanted to do was let them crack on, let them use it, let them create the Silk Road, Five years later, they swept up thousands of criminals at once, which is, you know, what the blockchain can do. But of course, Craig Wright is Dr. Evil. He's kind of the mastermind behind all this terrible technology. So there's that narrative. There's the, the I call them kind of clever speculators. They're the guys that hijacked the original protocol. And they're the guys that have stripped out the functionality. And they're the guys that want the digital gold. So again, they've made lots and lots of money. There are tons of billionaires out there off the back of this. So, you know, they are very clever, but it's all kind of one ginormous scam. And then you've got the third group, which I call the vested interests. So, and that could be banks, for instance. Now, banks are greedy, but they're not stupid, right? So they know that there is a pent-up demand from consumers wanting this digital currency, CBDCs they're called, central bank digital currencies, right? It makes perfect sense. But why would a turkey vote for Christmas when they are making such fat fees out of this old-fashioned fiat exchange? Of course. Now, the one thing's for sure, they aren't stupid. So, you know, they know that what happened to Nokia and Blockbuster. They know the studios, how Netflix came out of nowhere and wiped the floor with them. They know that if they don't jump soon, somebody else is going to eat their lunch. So they've actually got of 147 central banks globally, 88 have got calls for, you know, expressions of interest out there because they want to investigate the blockchain. So again, just like lemmings, once one goes, because it'll be a differentiator, they'll probably all go. And we believe that that's going to happen in the next two years. I guess what I'm trying to understand now really is, okay, we get this, that blockchain is an immutable ledger. It's distributed. So rather than it going to the bank, and you directly, it's going amongst many people. So that's what gives it the immutability, right? But what's changed? What's this fundamental change that Craig highlighted? 
So Craig's talking about these 88 central banks that have expressed interest in CBDCs. A CBDC is a digital token that represents a pound or a dollar, and it can be split down as far as you want into millionths of a penny if you want. The idea of it is it's cash, so it can be used in small casual transactions. You use your phone to pay for it. Your phone is your wallet. Digital cash fits inside the wallet. Not big amounts, but typically small amounts. So in terms of functionality and banks, the original Bitcoin protocol had all this functionality in it. It was what was called Turing Complete, which means it can compute anything computable. Modern money, digital money in the banks, stuff that we spend on our credit cards, that's all digital tokens. So there's no real difference between a digital token in the current system and a digital token on a Bitcoin blockchain, right? If you've got a Turing Complete system, you can put the inputs in and go and spend your digital pounds or your digital dollars. And the security system that runs underneath it is the Bitcoins that have to pay the miners and all the rest of it. So if you're sending a token over the network, say I'm paying for a Mars bar on my credit card at Sainsbury's, that can just all run over Bitcoin. And the fees would be 10 thousandths of a penny instead of 30p. So if you imagine you sort of apply that logic to everybody in the world using the same network, all their banks are issuing digital currency. Everyone's using digital currency every day for tiny little purchases. And they're just buying micro amounts of Bitcoin just across the network. So the peer-to-peer -peer bit is always between me and you or me and the supermarket. The peer exchange part of that is our interaction as individuals between each other. That's the peer-to-peer -peer cash bit. There is a peer-to-peer -peer network that the miners create. They have a separate peer-to-peer -peer network. They do all the calculations and the transactions and all the rest of it. But there's two separate peer networks that we're talking about here. So what you're talking about, that's what the original white paper was all about. And effectively, what's happened through Bitcoin is a bastardization of the technology. And then almost like Tim Berners-Lee coming up with HTML and then the extension of that is Pornhub and everyone going, well, he's to blame for Pornhub <laughs> or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So we're all so busy watching that. We're forgetting that underlying all of this is this incredibly powerful technology which can resolve big network problems in the world. And I would say the problems are network and you know, that should be that sort of transmission or financial or whatever. I mean, is that what we're saying here? Yeah. Once you've created the cash system, everything else can be built on top. So you can rebuild the internet on top of it and you can do it securely because now you've got secure methodology for sending value inside packets. And if you think about this, people so often say things like, well, Ethereum is functional and Bitcoin's not functional. But there's a major problem with that. When Craig and I are talking about sending Bitcoin transactions, we're talking about sending any kind of data for thousands of a penny at a time, and they're instant. Yeah. In Ethereum, it might cost you $400 for a transaction fee, just the fee. Now, I might want to send you £20, but there's so many people using it at the time that the fee for sending £20 is $400, but whatever. Let's say it's usually somewhere around $20, and the same on BTC. At peak times when lots of people are using the network, fees scale up because it can't handle the volume. The original Bitcoin protocol, the one that we're building on, and we're insisting on building on this, it's now called Bitcoin SV, but it's the Bitcoin from the white paper that was released in 2009. The chain started in 2009. It's the same blockchain. It can handle massive, massive volume. It can do 100,000 transactions per second at the moment. Next year, we'll hopefully scale to a million per second. Wow. 
And it just keeps on going. 10 million, 100 million, a billion transactions per second. Every time it goes an order of magnitude larger, the fees can scale an order of magnitude lower indefinitely. Indefinitely? Undoubtedly. And that concludes part one of our special interview with Craig Massey and Richard Bose, the co-founders of Satoshi Block Dojo. Be sure to stay tuned for part two here on Dave and Darm Demystify. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Darm Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvelous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.